Right, we're less hilarity. Let's pray and study the Bible together. Father, we want to thank you for the way that uh, walking, talking like Jesus, living like him is not just words on a screen, but by your Holy Spirit, truths that can become part of our lives. We pray you help us to learn from the Bible in order that we not really walk and talk and live like him. And we pray this for the glory of his name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 9 to 21. It's on the screen if you want to follow it there as well. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to stop there, and uh, I think uh, we've got a little children's group going out, and then we'll carry on. So, now that the children have gone, let's uh, get back to ask the simple questions we come into this passage in Romans chapter 12, where do you find real love? Uh, who watched the Royal Wedding? Yeah, I thought there might be one or two. Now, if you might remember, there's an American bishop, Michael Curry, and he said, as he pointed to Harry and Meghan, he said, that was powerful love. It was like a fire. It had the power to do anything. It would feed the hungry. It would look after the world. If only everyone had love, like Meghan and Harry in their love for each other. <clears throat> well, my dear friends, fancy being an, uh, an Archbishop in the Church of England, in the, Church of, in the Anglican Church, discovering when you get to Romans 12, you're absolutely wrong. Because real love is actually not about similar people coming together who <coughs> naturally love each other. The real love is when opposites start 
finding closeness with each other. And so if you want to see that kind of real love, I'm afraid you're going to have to come away from St. George's Chapel in Windsor and go to any local church. And you will find Christians who are not like each other, who are in this church in Rome, Jews and Gentiles. I'll say more about them in a minute, but they are the opposites and they love each other. Now you're going to find out what real love is like. And we're going to find out that real love is a Christian's love in church and in the world. Now we need to say those two things because we looked at Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and we certainly can see that there is love between the Christian and God. Certainly that's there in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. So there is love between the Christian and God but Romans 12 keeps on saying and there is love between the Christian and his church and there is love between the Christian and and his world. So we're going to start off by looking at the love that you find with Christians in church. And it is a love that is to be genuine. In Romans chapter 12 verse 9, let love be genuine. Now that's not so easy, you see, because when I become a Christian, what I find is that God puts me into a group of people that I haven't chosen to be with and many of the people in the church that I'm in are very needy. Now personally, I would do it differently. I would like to be in a church with people who are just like me and if you don't mind, I'd like them to be slightly more richer than I am so they can look after me and I don't have to look after them. No one's going to make demands on my money or my time or commitment. I want to be in a church like that. But Paul is writing to a church that is not like that. He's got Jews and Gentiles. If you know the history of that time, you know that Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles hated Jews. They were in deep suspicion of each other and deep dislike of each other. They were opposites. And Paul's writing to a church like that and says, let love be genuine. And as you look at what Paul writes, you're going to get a little picture of what genuine love should be like in a church. And I'm going to put down five stars. That's what Paul does. Five stars. A five-star genuine love in church. This is what it looks like. First star want others to grow. You see that in chapter 12 and verse 9. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. If you're going to have genuine love in the church, then we need to be hating evil, loving what is good, so that we can encourage each other to grow less in one area, more in another. And therefore we need to challenge evil when we see it. Interesting, that gives you an insight that inside the church you will find evil, which needs to be challenged. And if we don't do that, then all we will do is flatter people. Oh, that's such a nice person, that's such a nice person, and we just 
don't get any further. What we'll end up with are very superficial relationships where we don't challenge and grow each other. And when you don't hate what is evil, you won't be holding fast to what is good. That's why it comes first. And if we don't do that, what we will end up is a church with very superficial, insipid relationships where no one says anything to challenge anybody, nor do they encourage what is wonderful in anybody. Love wants others to grow, and so it hates evil, it clings to what is good. Secondly, Real love, genuine love, has brotherly affection. Look, don't forget this church in Rome has got Jews and Gentiles, okay? The people who are bitter opponents and enemies from the past. Fancy telling those two to have brotherly affection for each other, outdoing each other in showing honor. My friends, when you're in a church, you won't feel like doing that with everyone. But we need to let genuine love overcome our feelings and to go into friendly competition with each other to treat people well. That's what uh, Romans 12.10 uh, is telling us. Outdo one another in showing honour. Third thing, genuine love works hard. Oh yes, fake love works, but it then wants to stop working and rest and have me time. I've worked hard, now it's my time off. See, what that shows is really what I want is the time off. And I can't wait till I can stop working hard in order to get to it. In other words, in verse uh, chapter 12, verse 11, language, I want to be slothful. But instead of that spirit at work with us, within us, we have a fervent spirit. And my friends, as Christians, I think we do need to just lose the me-time language, which is so common in the world, and start looking at people who do verse chapter 12, verse 11 properly, who aren't slothful in zeal, who are fervent in spirit, who are serving the Lord. In other words, look at Christians who can do this well and learn from them, read their stories. Be like them as you make them your model. There's a man called D.L. Moody, he's American. He was quite a large chap, but he kept on working hard, so hard that his friend, Sankey, prayed to God, Lord, either slow Moody down or speed us up so we can keep up with him. And we need to constantly look at people who are getting this right, rather than looking at the world that tells us, look, clock off now, you've done enough. Genuine love continues and it goes through all those different things that you see in chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Why am I saying this is a question of continuity? Because actually, if your joy 
is sunk in this world, you might just find reason to give it all up. So my friends, what we need to do is to anchor our joy, to locate our joy in God's kingdom to come in the future, fix our joy there, and we will keep going until we get there. Be more short-term than that, and you'll finish the race early. Be patient in tribulation. It is interesting, isn't it? When you open up the Bible, it is so realistic. It expects there to be tribulation. Don't believe anyone who tell you, tells you, once you become a Christian, everything's going to be easy for you. It's expecting tribulation here. And it says, keep going, don't stop. And be constant in prayer. Keep praying that God will renew your love day after day so that you don't end up uh, giving up on that. Genuine love keeps going. And lastly, genuine love is generous. It is interesting, isn't it, that it keeps on coming back to generosity. You, we've come across generosity before in verse 8. The one who exhorts and gives, the one who contributes in generosity. I think that when you look at verse 8, Paul is talking about different gifts. There are some people with the gift of generosity in the sense that they are people of means who have the money to be generous with. I think that's what verse 8 refers to. But when you get to verse 13, you're looking at the ordinary person who's a Christian. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. In other words, my friends, there will never be real love if you don't want to give to your church. We might just take hospitality here when we talk about hospitality. We're just talking about cups of tea with each other. We're not. I think in this context, hospitality is hospitality is using our homes, the most precious possession that we have, to care for people. And along with our homes comes our time. Hospitality is costly in that as well. But genuine love, it requires us to ultimately use our riches for other people. If we don't want to do that, then love is never going to be genuine in our fellowship or anywhere else. So, five star things for Christians in church. I'm going to end by, the, end by saying, remember those five stars. That's why, actually, it's great to jot down things uh, on a pad, because otherwise what happens is that these things are going to disappear out of your mind in no time. Okay? And if you really want to be serious about the Bible, we do want to be making a note of these five things, and then perhaps praying them in every single day this coming week, one per day, Lord, please make my love like this. We need to be real in our love towards Christians in church, but we also want to be real in our love for others in our world. 
And my friends, this is where Christians can so easily think, you know, I'm such a tiny little person, what can I do? My world is so messed up. I look at the headlines and everything is going wrong. What on earth can I do in my tiny little life to make a difference to this world? And can you see what Paul does? He says, look, I'm going to take you, Christian, and I'm going to put you into your small little section of the world that you interact with. And if you want to make a difference to the world, you start there, in that little community that I have put you into, that neighborhood that you live and work in. So it is fascinating. You look at verses 14 21, and the Christian isn't locked up in his church. He is engaged in the real world with the real people who live all around him. We don't fence ourselves off from our neighbors. We engage with them. And it is very interesting. You see this as we go along. I'll give you examples from down my little street where I live just down that road there. And I'll tell you about my neighbours and how these verses actually help me interact with them. Because these verses will help you to interact with your neighbours as well. Let me start with verse 14. So, yeah. Um, Look at the neighbours. And I'm thinking that this section is really about Christians in the world and how we react with people who aren't Christians because the first thing verse 14 tells us is that there will be persecution. Now, this word persecution is something that we normally associate with people who are not Christians who don't like Christians. And often we read the stories and we expect persecution to come from the state towards the church. But actually... It can come in the form of your neighbor, your boss. Before I became a pastor, I worked in a merchant bank in the city and there was a man in my organization who absolutely hated Christians. He made it well known that he hated them and therefore he went out of his way to make life as hard for any Christian he came across as he could. Now, what do you do when you're in a workplace like that? Well, it's easy, isn't it, because we live in a polite society to say nice things to their face. But it is interesting how chapter 12, verse 14 tells us how we articulate our feelings to God. And when we're talking to God about them, we are only allowed to do one thing. Can you see that? We are only allowed to bless. It is repeated. It's said twice. To make the point. That is all we ask God for. To do well to them. So my friend, if you want to live in a different world where there is less anguish and anger, start with the person who hates you and pray that they will be blessed. Christians in the world, start there. Secondly, another interesting comment that we make on others is that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. 
Can you see how realistic this is? Our neighbors, in other words, come to us as Christians because we have the spare capacity to care for other people because generally in the world, people only care for themselves. But they come and they seek out the Christian because this person has sufficient room in their hearts to feel what they're feeling. It's very striking. I was, Debbie and I were walking our dog back home this morning and uh, someone who lived down the street actually put out his hand like this and says, stop, I've got something to tell you. My wife died to, uh, just over a week ago. The funeral's on Friday and none of my family are interested. None of my family are interested, but he has to tell us. And we said, yeah, we'll come. It's that sort of relationship with our neighbors that commends the gospel that changes the world. It turns it into a more caring place, doesn't it? And you will have people doing that with you as well. Thirdly, we are to live in peace and harmony with our neighbors. Now, it's challenging stuff. It works out in the practical level of what you do with people who park their car really badly and stop other people parking and stop you parking when in Dagnum car parking spaces are few and far between. And my natural inclination is to tell them what I think of their parking when I see it done badly. And yet the Bible tells me I've got to live at peace with people. Don't go provoking them. Live at peace with them. Don't be haughty. When my next door neighbor, three doors along, walks past my door, shuffles more like, because he is so drunk, I'm not to think of him as a loser. I'm to talk to him and be as kind and gracious and humble towards him as I can. Don't be haughty. And the Bible is very realistic in verse 18. It knows my neighbor, who is across the road from me, who is quite aloof, so that when we go up and we're friendly towards him, the best we get is to be ignored. Sometimes we get rudeness in return. We know that actually what we do isn't going to result in someone doing the same thing back at us. But as far as it is up to you, go for it. Be like this. Don't let the other person write the script for you as to how you should behave. And handling the aggression of others, lastly, is a very real part of living in the world with non-Christians and how they treat us. And my friends, we will only be able to handle the aggression that's coming our way from anyone if we do this one thing. We take our eyes off them and we put our eyes on God's promise. What God promises is that vengeance is his and he will repay. He makes that promise whenever someone is aggressive towards you. So he makes that promise when you come out of your front door as we did and find four nails in each of your tires 
and it's a promise that we say no vengeance is his he will repay he has promised and my friends don't ever doubt that he can repay evil don't ever doubt that he can punish just look at jesus and what happened to him on the cross god punished him when he took on himself the wrongs that we have done god does punish wrong and he does it far better than we do when we punish we either go too far or we hit the wrong target that's what happened with the nails of the tires the man who did it was aggressive he parked his large truck across many cars so they couldn't get out when they wanted to and one day he came out and he found out that someone had put nails in all his tires now because he's from iran and he they do this kind of thing in iran and because we have farmers living with us and he's from iran and he thought that farmers was my son he thought that i had put farmers up to doing this so he comes along and he starts deflating my tires he gets the wrong target god gets the right one every time but it is great freedom to trust the promise of god when you have the aggressor in front of you and you can take your eyes off the aggressor trust the promise it gives you massive freedom i'll tell you why because when you can empty your hands of vengeance you now can use both hands to do good and that is what is going on here in verse 20 if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink by serving you heap well shame that's what the bible is talking about coals of fire on their head and in this case the ability to carry on being friendly to him brought him to realize he had made a very big mistake and after that he just couldn't have been nicer overcome evil with good you see what happens is otherwise we might do this a little bit more in question and answer time but we've got a choice haven't we that man has won if he's made me retaliate the way he has treated me but i have won if i can make him start acting the way that i would like to act in a situation like that so what can we learn from these different things let me as we normally do in our church have little three take home parcels for three different groups of people first for the non-christian second for the person who's been to church lots probably isn't a christian and thirdly the real believer okay let's start with the non-christian and if you're new to christian things it may be that you think to yourself you know i don't know if this is true or not i need some sort of spiritual sign to show me that there is a god around where do i find one but my friend i want to suggest that you will find one in your local church where you'll see real love between people who will not normally be in the same room together and when you see love like that understand that there is a god like that it's a bit like uh, looking outside i can see from that window uh, trees blowing in the wind where when you see wind where you can't see air but it does rather prove the existence of air doesn't it when you see wind at work 
And the same way you can't see God, but when you see the effect of him in the lives of real people, you then understand that maybe there is something.